Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service in downtown Covington on September 12th. This is part five in a series we've been going through on prayer. Today's message is called Solitude. We're going to be looking into the discipline of getting quiet, getting alone, a discipline which is getting ever so challenging the further we go on with technology in the world that we live in. So let's head to the talk. Don't forget to check us out on the web, northshorevineyard.org, where you will find resources for your daily devotionals, podcasts, and also sign up for our Alpha Course introductory dinner, which is going to be October 5th. Good times ahead. All right, let's head to the talk. Thanks for listening. If you are, at first, lonely, be patient. If you've not been alone much, or if, when you were, you weren't okay with it, then just wait. You'll find it's fine to be alone once you're embracing it. We could start with the acceptable places, the bathroom, the coffee shop, the library, where you can stall and read the paper, where you can get your caffeine fix and sit and stay there, where you can browse the stacks and smell the books. You're not supposed to talk much anyway, so it's safe there. There's also the gym. If you're shy, you can hang out with yourself in mirrors. You could put headphones in. And there's public transportation, because we all got to go places. And there's prayer and meditation. No one will think less if you're hanging with your breath, seeking peace and salvation. Start simple. Things you may have previously avoided based on your avoid being alone principles. The lunch counter, where you will be surrounded by chow downers, employees that only have an hour, and their spouses work across town, and so they, like you, will be alone. Resist the urge to hang out with your cell phone. When you are comfortable with eat, lunch, and run, take yourself out for dinner, a restaurant with linen and silverware. You're no less intriguing a person when you're eating solo desserts and cleaning the whipped cream from the dish with your finger. In fact, some people at full tables will wish they were where you were. Go to the movies, where it is dark and soothing, alone in your seat amidst a fleeting community. And then take yourself out dancing to a club where no one knows you. Stand on the outside of the floor until the lights convince you more and more and the music shows you. Dance like no one's watching, because they're probably not. And if they are, assume it is with best and human intentions. The way bodies move genuinely to beats is, after all, gorgeous and affecting. Dance until you're sweating, and beads of perspiration remind you of life's best things. Down your back like a brook of blessings. Go to the woods alone, and the trees and squirrels will watch for you. Go to an unfamiliar city, roam the streets, there are always statues to talk to, and benches made for sitting give strangers a shared existence, if only for a minute, and these moments can be so uplifting, and the conversations you get in by sitting alone on benches might have never happened had you not been there by yourself. Society is afraid of alone, though, like lonely hearts are wasting away in basements. Like people must have problems if, after a while, nobody is dating them. But lonely is a freedom that breathes easy and weightless, and lonely is healing if you make it. You could stand swathed by groups and mobs or hold hands with your partner. Look both further and farther in the endless quest for company. 
but no one's in your head. And by the time you translate your thoughts, some essence of them may be lost, or perhaps it is just kept. Perhaps in the interest of loving oneself. Perhaps all those sappy slogans from preschool over to high school's groaning were tokens for holding the lonely at bay. Because if you're happy in your head, then solitude is blessed and alone is okay. It's okay if no one believes like you. All experience is unique. No one has the same synapses, can't think like you. For this, be relieved. Keeps things interesting, life's magic things in reach. And it doesn't mean you aren't connected. The community's not present. Just take the perspective you get from being one person in one head and feel the effects of it. Take silence and respect it. If you have an art that needs a practice, stop neglecting it. If your family doesn't get you or a religious sect is not meant for you, don't obsess about it. You could be in an instant surrounded if you need it. If your heart is bleeding, make the best of it. There is heat in freezing. Be a testament. Thank you, Tanya Davis. Well, I, I wanted to start off, you know, we're, we're in the series on prayer, and we've talked about different aspects of prayer from, you know, intercession to praying together, and uh, a big component of prayer, as we began to touch on last week, is, is praying, is being alone, being alone with God. And I, I wanted to start out with this quirky little poem uh, by Tanya Davis there, because I believe she hits on a fear that we have uh, inside our culture. It's the fear of being alone. And I think there, that within all of us, there's this, uh, we, we keep ourselves distracted from that feeling. We got to keep, you know, I mean, the reason her poem actually works is because, I mean, how many of y'all would feel comfortable going out and getting dessert by yourself? I know, I know some of the mothers here that, uh, particularly if you've got little ones, you're like, that looked like heaven to me. That was awesome. <laughs> Take me to that place, Lord, where I can be alone. But there's such a, there's such a, a, a weirdness many times to go to a restaurant by yourself or, or go to a coffee shop or, or uh, have dessert or certainly go out dancing by yourself. Um, there's this, this, this feeling inside that we want to avoid, and so we keep ourselves perpetually distracted. But uh, what I want to look at today is... Our ability to even connect with others has to do a lot with solitude, from moving from just simple loneliness into the spiritual discipline of solitude. Several years ago, I wrote a song. I won't sing it for you today. Got a little song back. Uh, got a little song goes like this, uh, called Distract Me. And this is the chorus. It says, distract me, distract me, turn the input up. Fill the spaces in. A little more can fit inside the frame. Distract me. Distract me. We are going to see how efficiently to fill our lives with nothing but the same. See, I, when I wrote those words, I realized that for all the busyness in my life, for all the, the, the technology that was put in my life to help me, my life was just becoming more of the same. Can you can you relate to that? You you just you're you're cramming everything you can into the frame. <laughs> but somehow you're you're not making any progress. You're not moving forward spiritually, emotionally, create creatively. You're you're kind of plateauing. And I found that 
that that's where my life was was going. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, in in his book Walden, which he wrote, we got a we got a literary teacher here. How, how long ago was Walden? Long time ago. <laughs> we have it on good authority from a high school English teacher. It was a long time ago. <laughs> you heard it here. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> Any kids in your class in here? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna use that against you. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau wrote this, and I, I believe his, his words, even though they were written a long time ago, they really speak to our situation today. He says, when our life ceases to be inward and private, conversation degenerates into mere gossip. We rarely meet a man who can tell us any news which he has not read in a newspaper or been told by his neighbor. And for the most part, the only difference between us and our fellow is that he has seen the newspaper or been out to tea, and we have not. In proportions, as our inward life fails, we, grow, we go more constantly to the post office. You may depend on it, that poor fellow who walks away with the greatest number of letters, proud of his extensive correspondence, has not heard from himself in a long while. I think we could update this by saying, uh, as your inward life fails, you find yourself going more constantly. 1854, thank you. Speaking of, speaking of distractions and technology, uh, no. <laughs> I think we could take Thoreau's words and update a bit. As your inward life fails, you go more often, more constantly to the email, to Facebook, to Twitter, to text messages. (laughs) Be assured that the poor fellow who walks away with the greatest number of correspondence by email, texting, Facebook, MySpace, has not heard from himself in a long while. A couple of weeks ago, I picked up an interesting book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. It's a, it's a really interesting book. This guy, Nicholas Carr, he uh, was a writer. He, he is a writer, but he's been doing this for years. He wrote for the New York Times, The Atlantic, and uh, has written several books. And so because of that, he reads a whole lot, too. He's a prolific reader as well as a writer. And he noticed several years ago... About 2007 is the time he puts it, that my ability to concentrate on anything for more than five minutes was greatly diminished. Here's a guy who writes and reads for a living, and he realized that he couldn't read anything for more than about five minutes, and it started to aggravate him. He he remembered how he used to just pick up a book and spend hours getting lost in the pages, and he's like, something's going on here. And so... He set out to kind of see what was going on, and he found that uh, there's actually a lot of studies in, in neuroscience that, that show that the, the Internet is actually rewiring our brains. We are moving from a linear culture that was based on reading books, societies, cultures that were based on the written word in book form to now a world that is nonlinear. You know, when you read a web page, it's a different thing than reading a book, isn't it? You're, you're skimming the text, and you've got this, these ads over here for weight loss programs, and this clip of Paris Hilton right here, and this thing. And so 
your mind is always in a stressed out place when you're on, online. You're not doing deep reading. You're just skimming. And then you click on that hyperlink, and it takes you to this thing and this thing and this thing. And he's actually finding that the Internet is rewiring our brains. Now, the good, the good news is we're learning how to get a hold of a whole lot of things at once. The bad news is that we're losing our ability to reflect and contemplate. We have a couple chairs up here on the front row. <laughs> front row. Hey. You know, back in the 60s, there was a, a, a communications guru by the name of Marshall McLuhan. And this guy, a lot of people don't know of him today, but he, he was kind of prophetic in a sense. He said, the media is the message. The medium is the message. What he was getting at there is we tend to think of things as, as being pretty neutral, like, like the NRA. They got this saying, guns don't kill people, people kill people, right? You heard that one before? All right. Don't shout me down. Uh, and we, we take that same approach when it comes to the Internet. The Internet's not good or bad. It, it's, it's just how people use it. Some people use it to put out just horrible smut. Some people use it for good, good things, like our church. You know, we put devotionals and podcasts and things like that. But what Marsh McLuhan was getting at is it's not that simple. Actually, any media, whether it's a book or the radio or an iPod or the TV or the Internet or your smartphone, anything that you use constantly, it's, it's a message in and of itself, and it will change your life more so probably than the message that is embedded within it. And so that's what we're, we're, we're finding that, that the words of Marshall McLuhan are really coming true in our modern world. The Internet, which can carry both good or bad content, whether you read the content or not, whether you think the actual content makes a difference in your life, the actual Internet itself and your smartphone and all these technologies that we're surrounded with are actually changing the way that you think. They've actually found in studies that it takes only five hours a person who's never used the web before, they can, they can analyze their brain on a brain scanner. And in five hours of using the Internet, using Google and Wikipedia, their brain is starting to behave differently. There's parts of their brain that weren't being used, and, and now they're starting to behave differently. The, 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 the bad news is that it affects us when we get to, internet, I mean, to um, reflection and contemplation. And this is certainly bad when we think of it just in... in natural things like innovations and technology and creativity and things like that. I mean, do you realize Einstein, the, the, the most amazing things? I mean, I, I love watching these science shows uh, on Discovery and the Science Channel, and these guys are still quoting Einstein. They haven't found anything better. <laughs> you know, they're still wrapped up in the, in the few things. But you know what? Einstein's most brilliant ideas, the theory of relativity, relativity, E equals MC squared, speed of light, all these things that he came up with. You know what? He didn't come up with those things in a lab. He didn't come up with those things in a university. You know where he came up with them? As he was looking out the window, daydreaming, as he was riding a bus, as he was just getting quiet and letting his mind drift. The innovations actually came not when he was focused on his job, but somewhere completely different. And we see this time and time again, the people who come up with the things that revolutionize society, probably the guy who came up with the Internet, came up with it in a similar way. 
huh, I got this idea, this web thing. And while that's, that's certainly a bummer when it comes to science and technology and creativity, it's, it's really a hindrance when it comes to the spiritual life because your spiritual life needs time consistently carved out for reflection and for contemplation, for solitude. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to start off with a little story uh, that, that comes from Luke 10, 38 through 42. And this is the story of Jesus at Mary and Martha's house. And if you've been in church long, you've probably heard this story before. But basically, Jesus is hanging out with his friends Mary and Martha at their house. And he's sitting in the living room, and Mary's just sitting at, her, at his feet. And she's just listening, just, just listening away. Well, Martha, on the other hand, you know, Martha's kind of like me. She's, she's in there cooking. She's making stuff. But after a while, she's kind of getting aggravated because I'm the only one cooking here. Am I the only one who cares about Jesus? And, you know, she starts, she's, I can imagine, you know, throwing some pans around. And she, finally, she just calls out to Jesus. Jesus, can you tell Mary to come in here and help me? Expecting that Jesus is going to side with her. <laughs> Mary, come on, you know, get out of here. There's things to be done. But, but what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha. You were worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is really needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing that really needs to happen. See, if we miss contemplation, if we miss that that quiet sitting down with Jesus and just, just listening. I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that's, you know, bringing Jesus the list of, you know, bless all the people of the world. I'm talking about just getting quiet before the Lord. If we miss that, you know what? Our, we, we, we end up getting very busy doing things for God. And then we end up getting resentful. <laughs> you ever been there before? I have. I'm the only one who cares about Jesus here, obviously, because I'm showing up at the church early, and I'm getting the coffee going, and I'm, I'm doing things. Nobody, nobody wants to show up and help me. <laughs> And, that, and, 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 and so your, your life turns into just this kind of religious ritual of obligation, and you just become mean and nasty to people. <laughs> you really do. We've all gotten around Martha's before. Actually, we've probably seen them in the mirror more often. <laughs> but Jesus said, what Mary's doing in here, this is good. This is good, you know, and it won't be taken away from her. What Mary's getting right here, it's something of substance. It may seem like a waste of time to you, but what she's getting is something that will spill over into the rest of her life. It will touch other areas. It's something that can't be bought or arrived upon through activity, even religious activity. It's something that only comes from spending time listening to God, reflecting I want to look at a few passages here, and I don't have any of them on the screen today because they're just more examples than anything. But what we can see is Jesus, the very life of Jesus. Jesus didn't really do a whole lot of teachings on solitude. I mean, he did say on the life of prayer, he said, you know, instead of going out and making these big public prayers, uh, you know, at, at football games and stuff, he said, just go into your closet where you won't be tempted to, to play act and, and act religious and spiritual. You know, Jesus did teach on being solitude, but more than that, Jesus, his example, we see that this was something 
in his life. First thing I want to look at is Matthew 4.1. Before Jesus starts his public ministry, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus spends 40 days through a period of lengthy solitude and fasting And he does that before he ever launches into anything that he does in his public ministry. What does that tell us (laughs) about solitude? Before Jesus heals anybody or or does the Sermon on the Mount, he spends 40 days just being with his Father, cut away from everybody else, and also being tempted by the devil. I love this Matthew 12, 23. After he had sent the multitudes away... He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He sent both the seeking multitudes and his disciples away so he could be alone with his father. I love that. Because I think, I know being in ministry, it's awesome when you start seeing people. You know, it was one thing when we were meeting as a small group in this church, you know, and there was eight or ten of us getting together every other week uh, in Madisonville, and that was pretty cool. But man, the last six months, I've been seeing people whose marriages are, are getting healed and, and people who are getting jobs, answers to prayers and healing and all kinds of things, and that's amazing. And when that stuff's going on, you don't want to stop it. And I can imagine Jesus. Here he is. The multitudes have come out to hear his message, and he's healing people. And, and then all of a sudden, all right, it's over, guys. I got to go. What? But Jesus, there's people who haven't responded to your message yet. Well, they'll have to wait. But there's people that didn't get healed today. There, there's, look, at, look at these people over here. They need to be healed. I mean, Jesus actually walked away from ministry. Like, I would never do that. I would just destroy my life, you know. <laughs> and we see, we see people in ministry. This is a, a, a fault of, you know, Folks in ministry, uh, I think naturally, if you're you, if you're attracted into to being in ministry, you've you've got a few screws loose anyway. Um, but but you don't, you know, many times you don't know how to live within your God given limits, so you just burn yourself out because there's always more needs out there. <laughs> there's always somebody else you can pray for, someone else you can visit, someone else you can tell about. But Jesus, the example we see of him is that, hey. Many times he would just say, that's it for today, y'all. We'll get together another time. Luke 4.42. Oh, well, Luke one thirty-five, And in the morning, Mark one thirty-five. In the morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went and departed to a lonely place. And he was praying there. Again, this is another story where the, the night before, Jesus had been doing all kind of ministry, and he sneaks out. You know, people know where he's at. They've been gathering there, and he sneaks out before everybody else is up to get away and be with his heavenly Father. Luke four forty two. we see one more example. And when the day came, he departed and went to a lonely place, and the multitudes were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. I love the picture we're getting here of Jesus. Like, Jesus, I, we want to have another one of those meetings like we had last week. And, and they're trying to keep him from going away. And Jesus keeps going away from people. For all the amazing things Jesus does in the life of people, he's consistently, we see this discipline 
of solitude. He's consistently stepping away. Now, I'm no theologian or Bible scholar, but these are just four examples right here. And I kind of think that if Jesus needed that in his life, then I don't know. I probably need it in my life too, huh? You think? (laughs) Y'all are going, yes, you do need it in your life. (laughs) See, I don't think... I don't think Jesus, you know, his, his, his relationship was so rooted in his connection with his father. And I don't, I, I don't think Jesus would have been doing most of the stuff he was doing had it not been in that relationship with the father. What did Jesus say? He said, I only do the things that I see my father doing. Was that just because he was seeing his father doing stuff all the time out there? No, it's because a lot of times he was stepping away and saying, God, what are you doing today? What are your plans today? Let my life be oriented around your purposes, your plans, your directives. We not only see this in the life of Jesus, but we see this time and time again in the Psalms. You know, the Psalms for the last 2,000 years have been the prayer book of the church. And if you follow along with any of our daily devotions that we put online, a lot of times many of those things are coming right out of Psalms because the Psalms are, are really great. But... You know, I'm a songwriter myself, and really the Psalms are, they're lyrics to songs. You know, it's like reading album lyrics. And I can tell you, again, I'm not coming at this as a scholar, just as a songwriter. When I read these words of David, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When I read those lyrics as a songwriter, I have a feeling I know how David got those lyrics. He wasn't locked up in the palace (laughs) thinking, hmm, I imagine David was out there just being quiet with God. And he looks out over the hill, down where the the hill contours down, comes down into a valley, and there's a little stream. And it's at dusk, and he sees a deer going down stepping to take a drink of the water and right there he's like that's it that's it that's me god that's me i that's 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 how i am with you the psalm comes from contemplation one of my favorite psalms psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I got a feeling the scene was David. He's sitting out there. You know, David was a shepherd before he was ever a king. 
He was a shepherd. He's out there watching sheep. And he's just being with God. He's alone. And as he gazes out over the herd at the closing of the day, he's just thinking about God and he says, you know, God, the way that I'm looking out for these sheep, the way that I'm taking care of them and making sure that they're led to good pastures and and that they have water, and the way that I protect them, you know, you do that for me. You're my shepherd. I'm like a sheep. I don't make very good decisions. (laughs) I'm not good on my own. You separate me from the herd and and, and the wolves are going to eat me. I'm pretty messed up. But you take care of me. You walk me through. Even when I'm going through the darkest times, somehow you always come through. You always take care of me. Your goodness your mercy, your love, they're going to follow me forever. I'm with you. You know, those kind of lyrics, they don't come as you're just trying to come up with them <laughs> in a sterile environment. I, I've shared this before several months ago when most of y'all weren't here, so I'll share it again because I'm a pastor. Uh, years ago, I, I, I was part of a songwriting. I, I'd, I'd written a couple of songs that... Uh, I'd advanced in this um, songwriting competition, and um, the the final five of us in that competition, or the final stage of it, they invited all these Nashville songwriters down. And I was just amazed. These guys, when you talk to them, they did a little clinic earlier that day on songwriting, and these guys like write songs for a living. One of the guys there had written 500 songs before he ever got his first song that made it big, but it, it happened to be on... Uh, Toby Keith or something, you know, something that sold like 12 million copies. So that was a good song for him. But uh, as we're sitting there talking to these guys, getting advice on songs, they're just telling you the mechanics of how to, here's how you write a good song. You need a good hook. You need a good picture. You need something that's got a good melody. And they're giving us mechanics. But you know what? I've written some songs that way. But I got to tell you, the songs that, that have have made a lasting impact in my life, you know, even some of the songs we sing here for worship, Ruin, King of All, uh, You Sustain Me, some of these songs we do here. You know, those songs didn't come as I was trying to write a good worship song. Huh, what, what, what words can I put down? Those songs came from a place of quiet contemplation, just simply sitting before the Lord. I realized last, last January when we started doing our weekend services, I'd never been the head pastor guy before. And I'd been in a church where it was a large church and I had a lot to do, but, it, you know, it was leading worship and, and I've, I'd been doing that for a long time. That was pretty easy. Now I was trying to adjust to this new world of you got to come up with a message each week. You got administrative things. You got bills to pay for the church and, and you got to make sure all these things and and I was finding just in the, in the first couple of weeks of January that I was like, <sighs> I, I'm, I'm losing my mind here. I'm, I'm so busy. And uh, I found out that there was this park two, two blocks down the road from us, uh, Bogafalaya Park. That's a cool park if you've never been there. It's got a little uh, river. And I started doing something. I don't do it quite as much in the summer because it's pretty dang hot. But uh, I started going out there just a couple of times a week. 
and just sitting down next to the river and being quiet. And at first I felt guilty about it because I'm like, you know, I'm the pastor. I better, I, Jesus is coming. Look busy, right? No. Uh, <laughs> I got to be doing, you know, I, I, I'm so easily getting that, that, that Martha mode, you know. It's like, you know, I got to be doing all this stuff. But, but I really felt like, no, probably the thing that I need to do more than anything is just go sit down and be quiet with God. And I found that so many times just sitting down and getting quiet not taking my, you know, cell phone with me or my laptop, or if I took my cell phone, turning it off. <laughs> Not taking a book to read, maybe taking something to write down if God showed me anything, but just simply getting quiet before the Lord. How many times everything would just come together? Just get a moment of clarity. A moment where all of a sudden, all the various noises in my life would get quiet. I've found that though that doesn't come naturally to me right now, <laughs> I need that in my life. I need that. I need times of just stepping away, getting quiet. I want to look at a couple of couple things here before I wrap it up. A few of the benefits of a life of solitude. When we become anchored by what God thinks of us, in, in solitude, when you get with God, you get what He thinks of you, and that anchors your life. It's so easy to get under the tyranny of what other people think of you, right? Whether you got a boss or, or customers or other people in your life that you're trying to please, and it's so easy to, to live your life motivated by that. But when we have times of stepping aside and being with God, all of a sudden we get His thoughts about us. I love the fact that before Jesus ever did his ministry, when he's getting baptized by John, the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Like, God didn't say that to Jesus, like, after three years of ministry, like, ah, great job. No, before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he ever did the Sermon on the Mount, before he did any of that, God starts off by just saying, I love you. I am pleased with you. Before, before you do anything, and you know what? You and I need to hear that. We need to hear that before we do anything, before you go to work, before you try to handle your customers or this or that. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I, I dig you. I like you. I'm pleased. That, that's the way you start off today. You're not starting off with a negative balance with God. <laughs> You're starting off in a good place. We need that. We only get that in solitude, though. You know, when you step aside to be with God, that's where you get that. And that touches every other part of your day. Secondly, you get wisdom and perspective. I got to tell you, I, I think uh, I, I've seen this time and time again. I can, I can get so lost in trying to figure things out and, and work out equations and how, to, how, how are we going to get from this place to that place, you know, and how, how does all that? And in 30 minutes of sitting quiet with God, he'll give me wisdom on it that was outside of my understanding. <laughs> like, wow, I never thought of it that way. We get a new perspective. And, and I think even on the perspective side, sometimes, you know, there, there's that, that song we sing here all the time, 
oh, magnify the Lord with me. Sometimes just by magnifying God, it, it puts your other problems in their perspective. All of a sudden, in those moments of solitude and quietness, just like David had in Psalm 20, 23, you know, yeah, maybe he was walking through a valley of a shadow of death. Maybe he had enemies coming with him. But now all of a sudden, his perspective gets realigned. And now he says, you know, even in the presence of my enemies, <laughs> you're going to feed me. You're going to put a table. You're going to, I get a banquet feast in the presence of those who would wish me harm. That's perspective. Finally, you get peace. How many of you could use a little bit more peace in your life? <laughs> I'm glad we got one person who's being honest in here. One of the biggest benefits of the practice of solitude, solitude is peace. One of my favorite scriptures for the last couple of years, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, ever since I, I had a heart attack recently, I've been on a a diet and some medication and things. And what is the purpose of all that stuff? To guard my heart. <laughs> to prevent my heart from having any more episodes. And Paul is saying right here, when we forsake anxiousness, when we don't live out of that place of anxiety and worry, when we put that aside and we come to the Lord with, with our request, the, the byproduct is that He gives us a peace that actually protects our heart. It's got a protective benefit, not our physical heart, but the core of our being is surrounded, encased in peace. I got to tell you, that, that's an amazing thing if you experience that in your life. The world can be falling apart all around you. And if you've been with God, if you've been quiet before Him, you've got a peace that is actually protecting you. It's like stuff is just bouncing off think we could all use a little bit of that so i want to give you some homework this week this is a church where we give you homework i'm sorry even even you guys in school uh i, I want to ask you to, to consider setting aside a little time a couple of days this week i'm not saying that you need to try to i'm, I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning and spend an hour, you know, sometimes it's better to just start small, okay? <laughs> but just try to, you may want to, this is a good time if you, if you have a smartphone with your calendar on it, you may want to look at your calendar and say, hey, I've got an opening <laughs> on Tuesday and, and Thursday morning at so-and-so time and set a reminder and just say, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and just get quiet with God. I'm just going to get quiet I'm not talking about giving God all your prayer requests for all the crazy things, just to sit down, maybe reflect on a little passage, but just to sit down and be quiet and listen. Secondly, can we all try to make a conscious attempt this week to not fill up every waking moment of our lives with email, 
text messages, Facebook, radio, and TV. Has anybody else ever noticed that I'm bad about this. I was reading this book on how the Internet affects our brain, and this guy was saying something about it. He's like, yeah, a lot of people spend so many hours a day watching TV and doing the Internet at the same time. I'm like, no, that's, ah, that's me. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not preaching, preaching down. <laughs> I know it's so easy. I found this was the case. You know, yesterday we celebrated, not celebrated, but we remembered 9-11. Did anybody else ever find this tendency when 9-11 happened that you just... I went from, like, hardly watching the news at all. You know, I'd occasionally catch the morning news to all of a sudden I'm obsessed with the news. Like, when's the next shoe going to drop? You know, the world's coming to an end. I, I want to make sure that I'm watching TV, you know? And, and I, I found my... Because <laughs> that's, that's helping the situation out. <laughs> and just when I started getting waned off of that a bit, then Hurricane Katrina hits, and, and I found myself again obsessed with the news. I just glued watching CNN into the late hours of the night. Just, just morbid. <laughs> and after that, I, fa- I found that over the last decade, I, I, I've just watched a whole lot. It's so easy, first thing in the morning, to come into my living room and turn on the news, get out my laptop, start, you know, to just let my world be oriented by that. And, I, you know, maybe I'm alone here, but uh, I just want to challenge us as a congregation this week if if you if you're like me hey why don't we try not turning on the tv in the morning or at least wait 15 or 20 minutes why don't we not check the email first thing in the morning why don't we just take some time to breathe take some time to be with the lord is that all right this is homework you won't get a grade though okay i'm not going to Give you an F this week if you. Uh... I'll be the TV police. I'm gonna send out emails. Because <laughs> I really believe, you know, guys. I, I, I just, I know there's a better way to live life. But it's it's not going to happen naturally. Our world is not going that way. Our world is going perpetually towards distractions. And if we don't if we don't get this as an important discipline in our life, we we as this guy's saying in that book, we start losing our ability to do it. You know, it's like muscles in your body. If you don't use a muscle, it will atrophy over time, and and you will lose the use of that place. So, I just want to close today with a, a little reading again from Philippians four. And I just, I just want us to spend about five minutes as we close just getting quiet before the Lord. And I just want you to close your eyes. And just be quiet with the Lord as I read this and see what, see what God may speak to you in these moments. We're just going to let the Word of God reorient our lives for the coming week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near.
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm going to read this one more time through and just see what God is highlighting in your mind, in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Thank you, Lord.
God, I just pray for every person a blessing. Lord, that you will help us to keep our lives oriented around you. God, that we will look first to you and your purposes. Lord, that we will get uh, what we need to live from you and not from others, not from our jobs, not from other relationships, God, but from the very presence of the Lord. Just remind us gently, Holy Spirit, this week when we are becoming too distracted by many things, God. Help us, give us the grace to step away, to reflect, to contemplate, to just be with you. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Feel a little bit better? Feel all chilled now, all peaceful. You're going to drive out of here, somebody's going to, it's going to be like that Jellin commercial. Somebody's just going to pull out in front of you, hey, it's okay, I'm Jellin. It's all right.